You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything is the short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my from? God, so many. <laughs> What's she talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I am very excited today to be joined by uh, an award-winning rising literary star whose debut book, If I Survive You, has already garnered massive critical acclaim. It's Jonathan Escoffrey. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let's get right into the thick of it with with the book, If I Survive You. Now, this came out some time ago in the US, but it is, when this airs, it will have just come out in the, in the UK. What's it all about? It is a linked story collection or novel and stories, um, however you want to think about it, about a family of Jamaicans who emigrate to the United States in the late 1970s. They wind up in Miami, Florida, and it's in Miami, Florida, where they have their second son, who's named Trelawney. And Trelawney struggles a bit to understand where he fits within the family dynamic as this American-born boy, born to Jamaicans who find him a little bit funny, a little bit odd and foreign within their household. Uh, Meanwhile, he finds that he doesn't quite find um, much of a a foothold in his country of birth, um, the U.S. being a bit of a (laughs) anti-Black state, um, if you will, um, at least through his uh, um, opinion. And people find him a little bit hard to place also um, because of his racial, his multiracial racial presentation. Um, and so he decides at a certain point that he wants to re-embrace his Jamaicanness, and that his parents have made a terrible decision by emigrating to the U.S. And as he tries to reclaim Jamaica as his own, he has this falling out with his father and he is kicked out of the house. He winds up living out of his vehicle and picking up odd internet jobs that really put his ethics to the test and also put his willingness to survive uh, to the test. All of that sounds very serious, but I think it's a, it's a fun <laughs> book. There's lots of humor. Yeah. Um, lots of kind of weird, uh, adventures that we follow Chelani on. And, um, I, I think it's a good time. <laughs> yes. No, I can confirm whilst that a lot of that did sound very serious and there are very serious themes, um, and sort of journeys a lot about self-discovery and stuff. There is also a lot of humor in the book. Uh, and, and it is, it is very funny. As you mentioned, it's a collection of, of interlinked stories that sort of focus around this one family. I was wondering when you came to writing it, where did each of those stories sort of start as for you as a writer? Well, I, I kind of 
first imagined this family when I was applying for graduate programs and um, they first appeared in a story that is not actually in the book, but um, it was something that was very short. It was about five pages long and I, it was kind of a turning point for my writing where I started writing a little bit uh, more about my own lived experiences, which is not to say that this is autobiography, but um, I was kind of talking about a world that I knew intimately um, and a world that I hadn't yet seen in books or, or any, in any of the fiction that I'd been reading. And so I decided I wanted to explore this family and these characters a lot more. I thought I was writing a, a novel for a time and I, in, in order to really get to know these characters, I decided to start writing stories about them. And, um, you know, they, they kind of appeared in these weird different orders. I mean, I, I think maybe um, there's a story called Independent Living, where Chelani is working at a government subsidized elderly housing um, apartment complex. And he is, you know, he's very poor. He's living out of his car. He's sleeping in the apartments of his tenants after they have died and um, doing all these weird things and trying to figure out, you know, how do you get ahead yourself without exploiting other people's vulnerabilities and needs. Um, and anyway, that's a story that I, I wrote actually before the, before the very story, the, the, the very first story that I was telling you about, about this family. So I know this makes no sense, but it was, it was a story that I was working on. And then I realized, Oh, but what if this is a Trelawney story and what, and that's when I really started to see who the main character of that story was. And so I kind of brought that into the fold. Um, and, and, and so that's probably the oldest story in the book. I think I realized that I understood where the momentum of the book was going to um, come into play when I wrote the, the story that appears first in the book, which is a story called Influx. And that's, we meet uh, Trelawney when he's about nine years old and the story basically follows him for decades. So um, yeah. we, we see him up until he is about to come home from college. And, um, but that was maybe, I don't know if, if it's this, this, the book has eight stories and maybe that was the fifth story I probably wrote um, oh, of the collection. Yeah. Yeah. Did you plan, it doesn't sound like you did, but, but, did you sort of plan once you knew the trajectory of the whole thing that it was going to be this collection of stories about this family? Did you plan out what each of the stories was going to be, or was it very much you were just writing stories and then it, that they sort of you brought them in together as this collection? It started off as just writing the stories, yeah. um, but I mean, I, I did know I wanted a book, but I didn't really know you know how I was going to order the stories or what the the larger books, like major arc or, or you know, storyline was going to be, what, what the exact through line was going to be that would connect all of these individual stories. Um, that came up a bit later. But I did find the more stories I wrote, the more clearly I could see all of that coming together. And so, um, you know, I, I at a certain point, I had most of the stories written, but I realized, well, I want to actually tie all of these threads together. And that's when I came up with the the final story. Um, it appears last in the book. It's the, the, it's the story that I finished last. And it ties together a lot of the, the threads that are appearing elsewhere in the book, um, in addition to the, the more self-contained storyline of, of that story. 
Uh, but, it, you know, every time I wrote one story, I could see the rest of the book a lot more clearly. And I could see even what the, the movements in, in each of the other stories w- was doing um, mm, more clearly. That's so and, cool. So it yeah. kind of came together as right. you were creating it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and were there, were there many stories that you, that, that never made it into the book? Well, there's the one that I mentioned and then I had yeah. maybe five, um, probably five others that didn't make it into the book. And most of those honestly were flash fiction pieces. There were about, you know, two pages each, uh, maybe one or two longer uh, stories. But what I found was that the flash fiction was kind of doing redundant work. I think they were operating as these breathers uh, between the longer stories. And I, I came to the conclusion that I, I didn't want to allow <laughs> the reader to breathe. Um, and and some of the more thematic uh, content of those, those, those flash fiction pieces is already covered in those longer pieces. And so I decided, you know, I, I, I wanted to cut out any fluff. I wanted the, the book to be very lean. Um, and I wanted every story to, to just really be impactful in a way that didn't let the, didn't let up on the reader. Yes. And, and I think you very much achieved that. I mean, the, the, already the reception to this book, which is your debut, which is amazing, has been so great. I mean, you featured in the New Yorker, Time, BuzzFeed, Vanity Fair, New York Times, just to name a tiny portion of, of places that have sung its praises. What has it been like as, you know, this is, this is the first book that you've published that you've put out into the world. What's it like? getting that kind of reception for it? It's been really, you know, wonderful. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) it's been, it's been disorienting. Mm. Um, I think there's a danger of having this much press and, and media attention on your first book of tricking yourself into thinking that this is how it always goes. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Because if this is my new normal, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, if the, and, and I am under contract with a, another book when the next book comes out, you know, if it, if it's anything less than this, then that's going to be, um, that, that could be a painful experience if I expect that every time I put out a book is going to get this much attention and, you know, maybe it will, but maybe, <laughs> but, uh, I have to, I have, I, I do have a lot of author friends just from being in various creative writing uh, programs or attached to different organizations and, you know, teaching for many different programs across the U S and you know, I've, I've, I've seen their books come out and some of them have been wonderfully um, successful and some of them have been much quieter publications. And, and so I I do try to uh, I don't know, have some kind of perspective about all of this and, um, yeah, I mean, some, you just, what my experience of, of debuting is that you never know what is going to really, um, make you feel excited because some, some yeah. things it's like, it, it sounds like it's exciting, but just depending on everything else that's going on in my life, I, I just don't know, like <laughs> something, some things that sound like good news. I, I don't, they don't really feel like good news. And then other things that might be surprising, um, and, and maybe even, you know, less, uh, less obvious as good news is, is, you know, sometimes the, the things that'll really, um, strike you as like, wow, like, you know, I really, I really put this thing out into the world and it's really, uh, getting a phenomenal response. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it's, it sounds like you've, you've gotten a good headspace about this. It sounds like you, thank you. <laughs> that, that, you know, you never know what's going to happen with the second book, but speaking of, you know, with all that in mind, are, are you feeling, I heard from a lot of authors that the second book is, is often in many ways harder than the first book. Are you, are you finding that? I don't know if it's harder than the first book. Um, I, what I'll, what I'll say is that I worked on this book for a very long time. So that, you know, that first story where I really discovered the characters uh, was written in late 2010. So that's 13. Wow. Well, 12 years, we'll call it 12 <laughs> years ago now. And yeah, yeah. so when you spend more than a decade working on a thing, or let's call it, a, you know, let's call it a decade because the, the book was accepted for, for publication uh, almost sure. two years ago now. Um, you know, it, to me, it, it, it had better be a great book <laughs> if you're going to spend that much of your, your life on yeah. it, you know? Um, I, I think had I spent just two years writing it um, and if I'd put it out immediately after I acquired an agent, for example, um, I think, I think it was very publishable a long time ago, but would it have this kind of impact? I, I don't think so. I don't think, I, I don't think I had the book um, polished to that level yet, um, you know, clearly. <laughs> and so, and so, so to me, it, it's not so much about writing a book, but it's like, how does a book, how do you create a book that is going to be arts, be um, impactful? And that's not to try to, you know, uh, be clairvoyant about, you know, how readers are going to receive what you're writing. But, you know, I, I, I put so much of my life into this, this first book and, you know, I, I don't know that I, I you know, I, I don't think my publisher will be too happy with me if I take another 10 years <laughs> on the next book. And so there is that question, like, how do you actually tap into what I, what I took so long to tap into um, on the first mm. book? How do I tap into that? But now at a quicker pace, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, yeah, is yeah. that even reasonable to expect that? Or, or is that even possible? And, you know, some, so some of the digging there is thinking about, well, what have I already been thinking about, you know, all of these same years, all those 10 years I was building, not just the book, but I was building myself as a writer. I was, you know, building my understanding of what it is I want to say to the world. And, um, you know, thinking about the book in, in those terms and not just like what I'm writing on the day to day, but you know, wh what's my greater, uh, message, which I hate, yeah. I hate using that word, but that's, that's what I'll land on for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and, and it does make sense. It's, it's the sort of responsibility of the author and that whole discussion. But right. so talking about this, this new one, which you're obviously working on now, and you mentioned when you, when you first started writing, uh, well, what I presume eventually became, if I survive you, you, you did feel like you were writing a, a novel, like one long form story right. is that what the new one's going to be <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um i i believe <laughs> so far <laughs> um, on, on this day in in history i i believe it will be unambiguously a novel <laughs> okay okay yes. okay moving away from the sort of short story format right right um and you know i 
I just went back back and forth so many times with whether or not if I survive you was a novel um in the lead up to my book sale you know we had this option set up and I was speaking with uh, you know we we had 14 publishing houses confirmed um or publishing teams confirmed to our auction but I spoke with even more 14 uh, oh yes. my god <laughs> I spoke with more than more than that but um you know I I'll say about half of them said, we read this as a novel. We see it as a novel. Um, maybe some of those said, it's 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 a novel, but like make it more of a novel. <laughs> and that scared me. Every time somebody said that, like, let's really take our time to make this a novel. That was kind of like a nope, uh, I, won't, I won't be doing that. Uh, but it was yeah. harder to walk away from the people who said, no, we, we don't want you to make it more of a novel because we just see it as a novel. Uh, the book's coming out in Germany in a couple of weeks, and in Germany they are calling it a novel. Um, and if if I had always thought of the book as a story collection, and then people started talking to me about calling it a novel, I think that that would be a little bit more jarring. But because I was thinking of it as a novel at at different right. times, not just at the beginning, there were times where I would, you know, maybe in the middle of the process where I really thought um, I was going to be putting this together as a novel and, you know, I would, I would get closer to that and then move away from the idea. So I think some of that spirit really does exist in the book. Yeah. I mean, whatever people want to label it, it has a flow and it, it they're not like, um, like most short story collections will be quite um, isolated. Each story will be not right. related to the other, but yours are all related. They do have a flow. They all tie together to a kind of conclusion at the end. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a collection of short stories but it's i would say it's also a novel <laughs> in like a weird and confusing way <laughs> right 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 and and i def- and i feel like i've said the word novel so many times now i don't mean to suggest <laughs> that i i want it to be more of a novel <laughs> and i don't think a novel is a better thing than a, a story collection at all mm-hmm. um just for the record to, to be, yeah, I, yeah i'm yeah. happy to be a story writer <laughs> Yeah. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. I mean, it, it it is what it is, and and the for, I think it's it's so kind of perfect in the form that it's in, and it would almost be wrong for it to be forced into a different shape. I agree, and especially when we think about Chalani and how he is kind of operating in this in between space um, where people keep telling him he's 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 not enough of this or not enough of that. Um, he's not black enough. He's not Jamaican enough. Um, I think in a way it's like the form is fitting the content in that kind of in-between space. No, I, I completely agree. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to rewind the clock a bit here. You mentioned that this has been over, uh, this book has been over a decade sort of in the making. I'd love to go kind of way back to your your own sort of origin story as, as a writer. And um, is it like since you were a child, is writing always something you wanted to do? It is. I really loved books as a kid. I created comic books uh, um, as a child. I, I wish I still had my collection of 
um, both both the comic books I read and the the comics that I, I wrote and illustrated. Um, most of that got destroyed in Hurricane Andrew in, in 92 when I was around 11 years old, uh, or I was 11 years, I wasn't around it. I was 11 years old. And, um, but I was, I was always encouraged, uh, by my, my elementary school teachers, uh, anytime that we had a creative project to, to kind of continue on with it as a kid. I, I think I had a lot of, um, artistic inclinations where, uh, I, I wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, I have an older brother who, who was much better as a visual artist. At least that's how I, I thought of it as a kid. He seems so much more advanced, which makes sense because he was literally, you know, four, almost five years older than me. Yeah. Um, and I, but I remember the day I, I bring him up to say, I remember the day when I quit um, wanting to be a visual artist. And that's because we, we were both enrolled in this summer art class and we were asked to paint, um, uh, uh, uh both the, like the same picture of, um, this castle like manor in Miami, um, that really exists that you can visit is called Vizcaya. And, um, I realized that, you know, we'd been painting other things like beach scenes and palm trees, and I'd been keeping up but when it came to trying to um, illustrate, well, paints architecture, straight lines, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. fell apart and, oh. and I couldn't do it. I couldn't create this building in any way that um, could could possibly keep up with my older brother. And I decided, well, he's a better artist, so I'll be a better writer. <laughs> and I quit. <laughs> and you know, this is I was maybe seven years old at the time, so it's it's all really ridiculous. But. Um, that was the day I decided to uh, that my art was was words and story uh, narrative, and um, and that was how I was going to both beat my brother and <laughs> survive in the world. <laughs> Amazing. Was that? I mean, was there? Obviously, you were very young when that decision was made. Was there a moment, sort of, when you were older, when you, you you'd been writing bits and bobs, but you you thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and take this to the next level and and see if we can really if I can really pursue this as like a serious uh, thing. I think there were a couple of moments. I mean, throughout my teenage years, I, I kept journals that I would. Well, I mean, you know, the, the journals that you buy at a bookstore or wherever, and I would start novels. And um, there was a certain point where I, I, I guess maybe I wasn't reading a lot of short stories, which does make a lot of sense to me. Um, I was reading like a lot of YA novels and I was trying to write that, but I would never finish them. Um, fast forward to uh, being in my early 20s. I I kind of dropped out of college, <laughs> you know. Notice how I, I always qualify uh, these things. I, I kind of did. I, I did. I dropped out of college, sorted. and I was I was working. Um, I was working overnights at Home Depot, um, uh, uh, you know, the hardware store, and and um, you know, doing things like driving forklifts and putting pallets of I don't know toilets and <laughs> plumbing and pipes on top of. Uh, shelves and and doing that type of stuff and i would i decided i would uh start working on this novel and i would come home and i i, I did write about 100 pages of a novel um i was taking it very seriously uh I, I you know it was it was a bad novel looking back on it but and i i would you know half the days i would definitely fall asleep in front of my computer but um i i was definitely trying to make something happen there i also was getting involved in um this like these writing online communities where you could post stories and people would give you feedback. And it was a really strangely um, supportive group 
uh, of people uh, who are also doing the same thing. And I'd read their, their work and, you know, there's, there's just a a lot of uh, support and imagination in that space, but um, I wasn't really growing much. And what I realized was that to grow both as a writer, but also as just a human being, I, I, decided to re-enroll in college. And um, oh. I started taking creative writing classes, starting with the kind of mixed genre classes, moving to a poetry class, and then finally an introductory fiction class. And um, that was where I, I really started to grow at a rapid pace and started to understand that I was going to make my life about writing and um, reading better literature, just to be frank. And so like, I, I understood where... Um, I, I needed better influences in order to uh, develop as an artist. And that's where I was finding those, those good influences. And um, I learned, uh, you know, in one of those classes about the master of fine arts and creative writing, um, especially the ones that are fully, fully funded um, where you could go and, and uh, get a stipend and live. And uh, that was very much not my, that, that sounds going, to, going away to college as a, an undergrad, um, uh, experience that a lot of people, at least a lot of middle-class people have. Uh, but I was working all throughout college, uh, at least one full-time job. And, uh, so my going away to my MFA program at the university of Minnesota in Minneapolis, um, that was, it felt almost like I was going away to college or writer camp or something, <laughs> but, th- but that's kind of my, my fast track through um, taking my writing more and more seriously. And especially when I went away to uh, do my MFA program, that was me fully committing to uh, the yeah. writing life. Oh, wow. Okay. So you knew pretty early on and you kind of set your sights on it and you, 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 uh, you made all the appropriate moves when, at what point in the process? Cause so, th- so as we said, 10 years, this kind of books, just over 10 years, this book has been sort of in the, in the works, in the production. At what point on that did you sign with your agent? I first signed with my agent, I believe it was uh, midway through 2016. Okay. So a long time ago. Yeah, a while ago. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd, I'd been working on some of these stories in grad school and then you know, continued to work on them after grad school and then added yeah. stories. And by the time I started thinking about agents, first I was thinking about submitting the manuscript to short story, uh, well, to, to, to book contests, because most of the people, I, I'd fallen in um, with a lot of writers at this creative writing center in Boston called Grub Street. I was working on staff there. I was um, taking some classes. More than that, I was teaching classes. Um, after getting my master's, it was very important to me to prove that I could actually use it. And that put a lot of pressure on myself to be sending out stories, hoping to get them published and then using that degree to teach creative writing. And I, I, I really, really desperately wanted to get the book out (laughs) and, but talking to people, you know, everyone would say, you know, agents aren't actually very interested in story collections. So why don't you write a novel or, um, you know, as they would hear, oh, this story, these stories seem to be linked. Why don't you turn it into a novel? And, I, you know, I knew I didn't want to do that in any kind of artificial way. So I started doing research on uh, book contests. But as I revised with the idea of submitting to book contests, I thought, well, like, what's the rush? Why don't you at least see if any agents would be interested in this thing? And um, 
I had a lot of friends who, I mean, again, like our, your experiences, our experiences as, as authors, they could be so vastly different. And I, I knew people who, yeah. I know people who have spent years, years, like, you know, half a decade uh, trying to get an agent or, or more than that. Um, and my experience was that as soon as I queried, um, I, I had a lot of responses right away, like within the hour. I, I sent queries out just with the, you know, the query letter and then maybe like first 10 pages, first 50 pages. Uh, I sent it out, hopped on the train into Boston, got to work, opened my email and um, everyone I'd queried had said, like, show us the whole manuscript. Um, and and then I had some offers of representation within the the first couple of weeks. So for me, much like my book sale, the the querying went very quickly but it's just yeah. those many years in between getting agents <laughs> and going out with the book that went very, yeah. very slowly. And, you know, I would get feedback from my agent. My agent's really um, wonderful at, at giving me feedback and challenging me to make better sentences, better stories, better character motivations. And um, sometimes I would receive her feedback letters and then I would just kind of sit on that letter for like six months um, and, okay. and not really, you know, I would kind of ponder <laughs> for six yeah, months. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'd be like, oh, I don't know about, you know, some of this feedback. And then months later, I, I would look at it again and say, oh, yeah, this is spot on, um, which is yeah. you know, not everything changed or was necessarily in line with my view of the book. But um, uh, it, it was a slow process and mostly my fault. And yeah, I, I was also moving around the country a lot, too. And every time I move from a different city. Uh, I, I need like a year to just kind of settle into my new, my new spot, my new life. And so that sure. definitely, you know, took a lot of time to, to, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, it was a very quick, uh, submission process, but, um, was it, you say it was about 2010 that you started working on, on this, this book. So this, this was a book that had been, you'd been working on this for five, six years by the time you started submitting it. At least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so anyone listening who's like, oh my God, that's not the experience I've had with submitting. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> this is a book that was half a decade in the making before it even went to submissions. So <laughs> Right, right. I mean, I, and this, I, I don't mean this in a shady way, but I, I have, I know people who it's like, they'll write like a novel a year and then yeah. they're like either back looking for like a new agent or their first agent or they're working with an agent who is, is taking the book out in submission and you know they've written like 10 novels and and or, or or you know 10 novels that haven't sold and i don't know like it's it's like the lesson i'm learning is like take take your time you know and yeah um those the like these the response that my book has had that's you know, I know I'm a debut author, but like this could have, if I had been writing at that pace, this could have been, I won't say my 10th novel, but you know, it could have been my third novel. Um, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. You, if you've you know? been writing, you know, multiple novels and, right. and, and for some people that works, some people, right. you know, love to churn out a model, a, a novel every year, mm -hmm. if not more than that. I mean, you look at crime, uh, crime writers, some of them are putting out multiple novels. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is putting out a million novels a year. So, <laughs> you know, and I, works and, and trust me, I, I, trust me, I, I envy fast writers. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Especially as someone who that. has to 
live and eat and <laughs> pay rent in this world. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking for tips on how to, how to speed things up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just practice, you know, and yeah. also being forced to because of a contract that you've. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. The older I get, the harder, the harder it is to motivate me by, by things like contracts and repercussions uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> but we'll see i mean yeah i don't know because sometimes i just think well like aren't i close enough to death i could just kind of escape the consequences that's <laughs> so a bit morbid, morbid yeah, I know, why not? I know. <laughs> amazing well um that that brings us to uh what is always the final episode the final episode the final question of the episode uh which is jonathan if you were stranded on a desert island uh, with a single book. Which book would you take? Okay, now this might be a bit of a cheat, but I don't think so because <laughs> it is a book. <laughs> uh, but okay. it is the Norton Anthology of African American Literature, um, okay. edited yeah. by Henry Louis Gates Jr. and Nellie Y. McKay. Um, and it is... Um, well, before the bibliography, <laughs> it is a, it's twenty six hundred pages um, oh my long, <laughs> and it, it has writings and um, condensed versions of abolitionist texts, uh, folk songs, um, Toni Morrison, Claude McKay. I mean, so many luminaries wow. um, who really influenced my writing. And, um, and also introductions to their work, which I find really fascinating. Um, and I, I, with, it's in this book that I discovered, um, many of the authors associated with the Harlem Renaissance, um, like, uh, Langston Hughes, who, who wrote a lot of influential, um, essays and, and poems, um, for, for, I mean, for me in, in particular and, so I, I find so much inspiration in this book. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think I, when I envision the, the best case scenario for my writing, my books um, lasting a long time on bookshelves and being accessible for readers, you know, I think about being my work being in conversation with so many of these authors and um, you know, these are my, 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 my parents, my grandparents, my, my ancestors, my, my forebears, yeah. my literary forebears. And so, um, that is why I would take that book to my desert Island. That's a great choice. Not only extremely long, uh, but, uh, nice to have all of your sort of, uh, inspirations and, uh, in there so that, you know, for, for your, that your writing aspires to, I guess as well. Yes. And, uh, also a collection of stories. Very interesting. Um, well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for, for coming on the podcast and uh, chatting with me and telling me about the book and, and all of your experiences with, with publishing. It's been really great chatting. It has. Thank you so much for having me. You are very welcome. And for anyone listening, if you are looking to keep up with what Jonathan is doing, you can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Escoffrey or on Instagram at Esco underscore out underscore N underscore play. That's Esco out and play. Uh, or you can find him on his website, jonathanescoffrey.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram and TikTok at Right and Wrong Podcast. For more writing chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again, Jonathan, for coming on. And thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.